This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning and welcome to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. I'm Sue Tab, and my guest this morning is a woman who is literally changing the Earth's landscape, focusing her career on advocating for vital and vibrant oceans. She is Vicki Spruill, who is the president and CEO of the New England Aquarium. She also oversees its research and conservation institute, the Anderson Cabot Center for Ocean Life. So Vicki and her team combine the power of scientific research and education to be a catalyst for global change. The New England Aquarium attracts over a million visitors each year who enjoy this incredible public education resource. Welcome, Vicki. Oh, thank you, Sue. I'm so happy to be here. And I love your sand dollar necklace, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I know See this that? is radio, but she's in the mood. I'm in the mood. <laughs> I'm in, within the theme here. So as I was reading all the things that you do, there's one thing to say you head up the New England Aquarium, but you do so much more. You and your team are literally sort of working to save the planet with a focus, of course, on oceans. But what a big job you have. It's <laughs> incredible. Talk a little bit about your vision, the mission that you have. Well, so a lot of people say to me, why should we care about the ocean? First yeah. of all, it's, you know, 70% of the planet. Every right. other breath we take comes from the ocean. I like to say that we really should have called Earth ocean. Because yeah. when you look at a globe, it's, it's Blue. 70% of it. Mm -hmm. And it's really the life support system for our, our whole planet. And so um, coming to the New England Aquarium for me is all about connecting people and inspiring people and informing them and inspiring them and influencing them to change how they're behaving in their lives in support of better choices to protect the ocean. And I was going to say, you know, it's about so much more. Although we all love to visit the aquarium and see the sharks and the sea lions and yeah. do all of that. That's only one aspect of what you're doing. You want to actually have people learn more about ocean conservation and different things that you're doing um, and walk away with that education. So it's not just about seeing things. It's about taking things away. So when people walk away, what is it that you'd like them to take home with them? Well, we have, uh, we're unique uh, in the world of aquariums because we've had conservation and research science sort of in our DNA from our inception. We're the oldest aquarium in the country, um, the first modern aquarium. Wow. And, uh, but we've always had science and research. So every animal that you go and visit is there for a reason. We're studying those animals. We're trying to better understand what they do in the wild. We're giving people experiences to see things that they might never see in other opportunities. I mean, it, how many people get to see an Indo-Pacific coral reef? How many people right. get to see a 500-pound turtle? So that's part of it. That's the start of your journey, the visit to the New England Aquarium. Right. What we want people to take away is to care more about 
these incredible animals and care about these habitats so that we can think about the choices we're making in our seafood choices, in our use of plastic. There are so many things we can be doing in our daily lives to protect the ocean. So we want people to leave inspired to make a change in their own I lives. I was just going to say something that will be carried through, like a, ch- a complete change of behavior. Right. Talk a little bit about some of the research that's being done now at the aquarium. So we are doing so much. We are probably the, well, we are the, the um, most formidable researchers on North Atlantic right whales. Um, and, you know, that is such an iconic species here in in the Boston area, yes. and sadly, it's a very vulnerable species. There are only about 400 North Atlantic right whales left, and um, so we are um, working hard to save that incredibly iconic species. Uh, we're tagging sharks, which is uh, a really important activity. To we're follow using, where they're going yeah, and so, where they're migrating. Okay. Right, so f- uh, think of uh, your Fitbit. We're using yes. sort of Fitbit technology and implanting chips in in sharks so that we can track where they're going, we can follow their migration patterns, and it helps with um, monitoring and surveillance of, of where they are off our coasts. Wow. And we're, uh, we're saving turtles. I think that the, the, um, the story that I'm most proud of recently uh, is in Wellfleet last fall, we uh, rescued a very large loggerhead sea turtle, which is an unusual turtle to find in, mm-hmm. our, in our waters off the Cape. We kept her in our turtle hospital in Quincy where she was rehabilitated. Nursed over, back to health. Nursed back to health. Oh, that's and then, amazing. And then released um, just about three weeks ago now. And we put a satellite tag on her and so we can follow where she's going. And so if you've if you're if you haven't heard about this yet, go to munchkinsjourney.com. It is the most inspiring thing you'll see. We have five chapters that tell the story in video about her journey. Uh, and and what's important about that is we're learning about the patterns of these loggerhead turtles because there's been very little research and knowledge about where they go and why they're why they're even here in the first place. And I know you guys do a lot of rescue of of uh, mammal life and and different things, marine life, I should say. But I, but I think it must be hard sometimes when you've had an animal like that in your care for that long. And yes, the end goal is to have them go back into their natural habitat yeah. because that's what. They, where they belong, but yet it must be hard to let them go when you've had them that long. Don't we you were get all, Yes, and we were all standing on the beach, and several of us had tears in our eyes, I, and I, it was a combination of hope and, and sadness. And, and actually, our chief uh, turtle scientist, Dr. Kara Dodge, said she actually gets more anxious after the release, really, <laughs> you know, because yeah. then she's got to do the tracking and yeah. try and figure out where, where they're going. You founded the Trash Free Seas Alliance, research research that looks at the impact of plastic in the ocean. What have you found and what is being done about the problem of plastic? Yeah, so in 2012, I was the president of an organization called Ocean Conservancy, and that's where we uh, founded the Trash Free Seas Alliance, which brings together academics industry and conservation leaders to work together to find solutions to problems with plastic in the ocean. And uh, that organization, which the New England Aquarium is now a member of, Mm -hmm. um, looks at the science behind the problem of plastic. So I think we've all known that plastic is a problem for a long time. I mean, you can just walk on any beach anywhere and see see balloons and all kinds of things that shouldn't be there. But um, it wasn't until about three or four years ago that the science began to really indicate the impacts of plastic on 
sea life and on all kinds of things. What happens is the plastic breaks down into these little itty bitty micro particles that get eaten by fish. And so it's everything from what they ingest through these micro particles to entanglement in a lot of fishing gear is made of plastic. People don't realize that. Mm -hmm. Um, They mistake things like a simple plastic bag that washes into the water as a jellyfish, for example. So our vets at our animal hospital who perform necropsies, which are autopsies on animals um, after they've been um, uh, rescued and don't make it, we're finding plastic in almost all of their bellies. And so um, this is a real significant problem for wildlife. And what can the average person do about that? Like just the person like myself? Is it not to buy plastic water bottles? Is it to just use reusable things? What would you suggest we do in order to help? The mantra used to be reduce, reuse, recycle, and now it's refuse, reduce, recycle. And so I think the first step is to really think about um, whether you really need that single-use plastic. This is actually July. We're, I know, winding down, but it's um, plastic-free July. And uh, we at this as our as a staff and lots yeah. of other people have signed on to actually practice every day how can you reduce the amount of single use plastic you're using so it's things like taking a reusable bag to the grocery store don't ask for a plastic straw you know there are, alum- right. are aluminum straws that are fabulous they're bamboo straws they're all kinds of things um, for me and I'm I'm guilty it's it's the Ziploc bag and you know but there are now all kinds of great reusable um, bags that you can put in the dishwasher when you're washing everything else mm-hmm. so it's it's really about eliminating all this single use plastic in your life, thinking about the impact that it has. If you're just waking up and tuning in, you are listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. We've been chatting with Vicki Spruill, the president and CEO of the New England Aquarium, a popular visitor destination, of course, and public education resource that has become an institution here in Boston and well beyond. Vicki has been discussing her vision as it relates to ocean conservation and education. Let's get back to our conversation. You mentioned it a little bit earlier. You talked about the um, sustainable seafood movement. Talk about that and how you're involved. Well, it's really funny. You know, uh, probably 20 years ago, um, there was no such thing, maybe 25 years ago, there was no such thing as thinking about sustainable seafood. So Mm -hmm. uh, this was earlier in my career, but we uh, did some very important public opinion research and and realized that... um, People love fish, but they love fish because they like to eat them. And so we thought, could we mount a campaign that would help people better understand where their fish come from and why it's important to think about all of those things, how they're caught, where where they come from, the, the different um, dynamics of a population in, in the first uh, campaign that sort of brought all of this to life, it was about North Atlantic swordfish that were being caught before they had an opportunity to reproduce. And so populations of those fish were going way down. Oh, so, so see, that's something that yeah, I would have never yeah, yeah. thought of. So right. educating people about so that was, was really important. And now we have um, an industry that is robust around sustainable seafood because guess what sustainably caught fresh seafood tastes better too so um 
we know so much about, think about the wine you drink in the evening. You know, you know all about the grapes and where they come from. I and, sure do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and think about uh, the whole organic food movement. We oh, have yeah. free range chickens. We know so much about yes. all the other food that we eat. We've just been a little slow to the party when it comes to thinking about our seafood. And so there are wonderful programs. The Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch card helps inform people about different sustainable seafood choices they can make in their region. So that's a great resource for people who want to learn more. And you can find all of that on our website. And our restaurants catching up, chefs and restaurants catching up, and they're aware of this, and this is what they want to serve. Absolutely. There's a whole movement on this. And um, actually, you know, you should, that's a good test. When you order seafood at a restaurant, you can ask the wait staff, you can ask for the talk to the chef. Yeah, they're very, very clued into all of this. It's exciting. I want to talk a little bit about the anniversary. You guys are celebrating your 50th anniversary at the aquarium. Talk a little bit about what that milestone means, because this is such an institution, um, and if there are any events planned around that. Well, 50 is a big deal. It sure is. uh, It's your golden anniversary. It is. It is. (laughs) And we're the first modern aquarium in the country. To hit that number. And we were the first um, modern building, actually, on Central Wharf, which is, I think, really significant for Boston. And when... When the New England Aquarium was built on Central Wharf, um, you know, the harbor was a mess. Nobody wanted to be on Central Wharf. And so we were leaders at a time, uh, and I really credit our founder, David Stone, for his vision for bringing us to Central Wharf, which now is such a vibrant and central part of Boston and, and the entire financial district. So now we're facing different challenges. The harbor needed to be cleaned up 50 years ago, and thanks to the efforts of a lot of groups that happened, now we're looking at a different challenge, which is climate change and warming and rising oceans. Mm -hmm. And so we have a real responsibility uh, as an institution sitting literally on the water's edge to help educate our visitors and others in Boston about the impact of sea level rise um, to a major urban waterfront city like like Boston. And so um, we have a series of events planned over the course of the year. Lots of fun things that you'll be hearing about, so stay tuned. Um, In October, we'll be celebrating the work of our Anderson Cabot Center for Ocean Life and all of the research we're doing. We'll have a big gala a year from now in um, June of 2020. But there's a lot to be thankful for, and there's a lot of good work to be done looking forward. So I look at an anniversary as a way to celebrate the past, but to really launch us into the next 50 years. And I feel like you can't even think about Boston and the landscape of Boston without thinking about the New England Aquarium. It's just so such an iconic piece of Boston and, and what we're all about because oh, we're all you. we're cutting edge we're cutting edge in a lot of ways right we have yeah. the world's best hospitals that's right. we have some of the world's best colleges that's here right. so why wouldn't we have the world's best aquarium that's right and right so yes and so a big plan for our 50th anniversary is to launch what we're calling our blue way vision which is to renovate and reimagine all of Central Wharf connecting the Rose Kennedy Greenway to the harbor oh. for all of Boston and 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 really expanding and uh, and renovating that our, would be so cool our more public space more yeah. water facing space because for all of the um, focus on water in Boston. Uh, there's very there are very few places where you can actually interact with yeah. the waterfront, and so we think that place should be Central Wharf and the New England Aquarium. 
If you are just tuning in and joining us, you are listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. I'm Sue Tab. Our guest today, Vicki Spruill. She is sharing with us some of the great work being done at the New England Aquarium. We've also been discussing research initiatives, advocacy programs that focus on saving and strengthening our oceans. The aquarium now celebrating its 50th anniversary as a visitor destination and public education resource. I want to get back. What would you say? You've been at the helm now for about a year. Yeah. What what are you most proud of so far? Oh, gosh. The, I, you know, what I'm most proud of is learning about the history of our incredible work and the amazing people at the New England Aquarium. There is so much that goes on behind the scenes in terms of animal care and um, just just the, the love and attention that are given that's given to the animals in our facility that is not understood. We mm-hmm. you can come and see some of that when you come and watch our exhibits and watch our training and feeding and caring programs. But um, I have just been overwhelmed by that that um, spirit and dedication of the staff, and I'm incredibly proud to be at the helm of that organization. How big is the staff? We have 250 staff, wow. and um, we have about 1,200 volunteers. And I have to give a big shout out to the volunteers because um, we would not be able to do what we do without the dedicated volunteers who show up every day to help us. We're a smaller aquarium relative to some of the others around the country, If for those of you who have visited other aquariums, but we have a very high ratio of interpreters to visitors. So we have those, um, those volunteers and staff who are really helping you understand what you're seeing and why it matters and educate you about all these wonderful things we're doing. What an amazing place. Did you always know you wanted to go into this field? Oh, gosh. So I um, <laughs> I wanted to be a marine biologist. <laughs> I love the little laugh. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's it's a story a, there. There is a story. <laughs> I, um, I went to high school in Pensacola, Florida, and I uh, fell in love with the ocean and a lot of surfers. <laughs> but I loved, I loved the ocean and I wanted to be a marine biologist. And I had a science teacher who was a bit of a mentor to me, a male science teacher. Who Isn't told it funny? Me, there's always one teacher yeah. that has such a lasting impact on you. Yes, except yes. he told me there was no place for women what? in science. And so I pursued a oh. liberal arts career. I was a pretty good writer. Um, and so I studied strategic communications, got my graduate degree, worked in public relations for the first part of my life. Um, and then you know, found myself slowly but surely into this conservation realm where my job is really about communicating and translating the complexity of science. And so to me, I think uh, it all happened exactly as it should have happened. Right. But boy, you didn't, you don't know, you don't know that on the front end looking forward. Oh, I know. Listen, I was a psychology major. I've been in media my whole life. Like it just, you, but you sort of end up, I feel like just sort of gravitating back to what you're supposed to do. I it may totally take some agree. time, and it's the journey that I'm, I'm glad I took it the way I did. Yeah. Um, it always makes sense looking backwards, yes. but it doesn't make sense right. looking ahead. And it's not a straight line. I always say to yeah. my, my daughters, too, I'm like, you know, yeah. your journey won't be linear. It's not straight. It's up and down and up and down, Same. but that's part of the fun. Yes, it is. And that is part of the fun. We're already running out of time. You must have had a lot of role models yourself going through life who've oh, helped you so along many. the way. So many, particularly in the conservation realm. I would have to say Josh Reichert, who uh, has recently retired as the head of the environment program at the Pew Charitable Trust. 
podcasts was really the the man who gave me an opportunity to start a program at Pew Charitable Trusts that worked at the intersection of science, policy, and communication. He believed in he that believed vision. He believed in that vision, mm-hmm. and uh, I wouldn't be here if it were not for him. The other is Dr. Jane Lubchenco, who was the former uh, director of uh, of NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, oh, yeah. and she's a uh, just a phenomenal. Uh, world-renowned um, a biologist, force. a force I of love nature. A force. She's called a force of nature. She's now at uh, Oregon State University, and she has been a mentor and friend, and has also appreciated the importance and significance of translating and communicating science. Anything you wish your younger self knew? Um, yes, that the nonprofit sector is a viable place and way to build a life and have a successful career. I think a lot of times people think of um, the nonprofit sector as like not being maybe as important or um, profitable. Uh, you know, it's a much more mission-driven way to do work. And to me, that's really inspiring. I just didn't really even know that existed. Right. And last but not least, my last question, what do you hope to accomplish during your tenure? What do you hope people will remember about your legacy, the time that you spent at the aquarium? That when you visit the New England Aquarium, your ticket is so much more than just the price of admission, that you are helping invest in conservation and science solutions to save the ocean. Unbelievable. What I, I'm so like just talking to you now, I've learned so much that Oh, thank you. About the aquarium that's people who haven't been in a long time, they need to go. Oh, please. We've right? got a beautiful new Indo Pacific reef exhibit that's floor to ceiling, nine thousand gallons, the most beautiful the Boston Globe called it the colors of the sea exhibit. Oh, There's nice. just so much to see and be inspired by. So please do come. And give the the uh, website out if people wanna find out more. NEAQ.org. Very easy. NEAQ.org. Thank you, Vicki, for spending time with us this morning. Thank you, Sue. Thank you to the New England Aquarium's Vicki Spruill for being in the spotlight today on Exceptional Women. It is so important to highlight the aquarium's long history as a global leader in ocean exploration and marine conservation. We are grateful for your insight and your continued hard work to be a catalyst for change. And we wish you, of course, a lot of continued success. I'm Sue Tab. You've been listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. Remember that exceptional women are everywhere. We talk to celebrities and authors and CEOs but we're also interested in your neighbors and coworkers and friends who are out in their neighborhoods and in their communities quietly making a difference. If you know anyone like that, you'd like to suggest, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks too to my producer, Kendra Petroni, and to all of you for listening this morning. Be sure to join us every Sunday morning at 7.30 for another edition of Exceptional Women. Have a great day, everyone.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.